0: Strictures on Abolition, Part B, from Bible Defense of Slavery, by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Strictures on Abolitionism, Part B, National Colonization of the Free Black Population of the United States, advocated by the publishers. Modern Abolitionism, then, we discover, is not a thing which exists in name only a shadow without a substance a mere child of fancy but a stern reality and deep-layered conspiracy a well-organized system upheld by a powerful combination of the most powerful and dangerous enemies of our common country who are actuated by a desire not to ameliorate the condition of the benighted African, but to strike a death-blow at the genius of republican liberty, to sap the very foundations of our civil polity, to poison the gushing fountains of our domestic tranquility, social intercourse, and national security. That our country, the cause of human freedom and national civilization, the cause of all mankind have more to fear from this organization than from all other opposing elements combined we entertain not a doubt to prove that we speak not unadvisedly and that our fears and deductions are not unfounded we beg leave to introduce the following from authorities the intelligence of whom we presume will not for a moment be questioned. From the Nashville Union. Quote, The Union, Past and Future. We have received a pamphlet entitled, The Union, Past and Future, How It Works and How to Save It, by a citizen of Virginia. It is, as the Richmond Enquirer remarks, in noticing it, a most luminous exposition of the extraordinary advantages which the north has derived over the south from the union the wonderful resources which capacitate the south for entire independence of the north the reliance of the latter upon the former for its prosperity its inevitable poverty in peace and weakness in war in the event of a dissolution AND THE OVERWHELMING CONSIDERATIONS OF INTEREST AND POLICY, WHICH SHOULD THUS INDUCE THE NORTH TO CEASE THE PROSECUTION OF THOSE SUICIDAL MEASURES WHICH ENDANGER HER LONGER ENJOYMENT OF THE INCALCULABLE BLESSINGS OF WEALTH AND POWER, PROTECTION AND HONOR, FLOWING TO HER, UNDER THE UNION, FROM THE VERY INSTITUTIONS WHICH SHE WOULD DESTROY. NO THREATS ARE MADE no menaces indulged a candid statement is given of the facts in the case and of the relations which the two great geographical divisions of the country sustain to each other in a political economical point of view the munificent generosity of the south the heavy and unequal burdens she has borne and still bears in the support of the federal government the splendid abundance of her varied resources still multiplying still enlarging the safety and facility with which she could maintain her own union with a less expenditure of revenue than she now annually contributes quite gratuitously for the benefits of the north her manly determination to require equality of independence these facts are calmly but plainly and distinctly stated not indeed to encourage the idea of dissolution but to remind us that we are under no grinding necessity no compulsion of poverty for ever to endure northern vassalage usurpation and insults and to open the eyes of the north too long blinded by power to her true interests and imminent danger. Continuing, It would be well for the Union if this pamphlet were circulated throughout the whole extent and read by all its millions. It would bring home to the South a knowledge of her real strength. It would bring home to the North a knowledge of her real weakness. It would show the One that she could sustain herself alone in peace and war, with safety and honor. It would show the other, that alone, in peace or war, she must ignobly fall, with all her greatness. It would inspire the South, with a manly independence, which would disdain further compromises, of her interests and dignity, where concession has, but led to aggression, and magnanimity to imposition it would inspire the north with a just sense of her dependence and an enlightened apprehension of losing by the further provocation of a generous but outraged and indignant people the grand sources of her prosperity happiness and honor each section would better understand the attitude of the other and such understanding might lead to the permanent establishment of a more equal and harmonious union continuing below we present a series of extracts from this excellent pamphlet interspersed with an occasional remark of our own continuing after a brief introduction the author sets out with a proposition which he fully establishes by facts and figures the history of the causes of the present crisis is the history of ever-growing demands on the part of the north and of concession on the part of the south we cannot follow him step by step but must content ourselves with marking only a few of the principal metoy on the courses he begins with the session by virginia to the union of the magnificent domain northwest of the ohio the most splendid dower that ever bride gave away to please her grasping lord. Continuing, It was a country well suited for slavery, for even so late as 1806 we find a convention of the inhabitants of Indiana petitioning for its temporary introduction, and a committee of the House of Representatives reporting through their chairman, Mr. Garnett of Virginia, in favor of their prayer. But while Virginia was guilty of this suicidal generosity, she annexed one condition for her own advantage, that no more than five states should be formed out of this territory, so as to preserve a due balance of political power in the Union. Yet, even this condition the North has violated and twenty two thousand three hundred thirty six square miles of its area more than the average size of all the free states east of the ohio have gone to constitute the future state of minnesota continuing this was the first step and the next was at the formation of the present constitution when a contest arose as to the ratio of representation should the south have as many representatives in proportion to her population as the north it was just and right that she should the federal government had no concern with the relations between blacks and whites the classes of her population it had no right to inquire whether the negro was a slave or free the slaves were a better population than the free negroes and if the latter were to be counted at their full number in the appointment of representation so ought the former the right could not be refused because the slaves were naturally or legally equal to the whites for so are the free negroes it could not be refused because they have no political rights for neither have the free negroes paupers women or children they are an essential part of the population if absent their places must be filled by other laborers and if they are property as well as population it is an additional reason for giving their owners the security of full representation for them but the south as usual yielded to northern exorbitance and agreed that five slaves should count only as three free Negroes. Therefore, instead of 103 representatives in Congress, we have only 91. Continuing, quote, But the free states are not content with this, and now propose to take away 21 more of our representatives. They say that the right of representation for three-fifths of our slave population is a sufficient reason for refusing admission into the Union to any new slave states, and Massachusetts has proposed, by a solemn legislative resolution, to amend the Constitution so as to deprive us of this guaranteed representation. Public meetings and eminent men have approved of her proposal. Continuing, quote, In return for this surrender of her rights, the south inserted in the constitution two stipulations of her own favor the first provided that direct taxes should be apportioned amongst the states in the ratio of their representation according to this provision we ought now to pay a little more than one-third of the taxes we actually pay under the present system over three-fourths the amount levied from customs since the formation of the government, has been about 1,047 millions of dollars. And had these duties been paid in the ratio which the Constitution indicates, as just and proper, the South would have paid 442, and the North, 605 millions of dollars. But, as we shall see hereafter, The slave states have really paid 798 millions of dollars, and the free states only 249 millions of dollars. Therefore, the South has gained nothing by this stipulation in return for her loss of reputation. Continuing, The other stipulation in favor of the South was that no person held to service or labor in one state under the laws thereof escaping into another shall in consequence of any law or regulation therein be discharged from such service or labor but shall be delivered up on claim of party to whom such service or labor may be due this provision rests for its due fulfillment not merely upon the federal government but like a treaty stipulation between two distant nations must be carried into effect by the municipal regulations of the parties and their comity and good feeling yet what has it been worth to the south so far from executing this clause and delivering up the runaway slaves the free states refuse to pass any efficient law to that end in congress and such is their state of feeling and such their domestic laws, that any federal law, even if enacted, could not be executed. In their own governments, they make it a criminal offense, punishable by fine and imprisonment, for any officer, and in some states, for any citizens, to assist in seizing or delivering up a runaway slave. Their whites and their free Negroes, Assemble in mobs to rescue the slave from the master who is bold enough to capture him, and then accusing himself of the riot they made themselves, throw him in a felon's jail, and load him with fetters, as Pennsylvania has recently done by a respectable citizen of Maryland. When Troutman, of Kentucky, pursued his slaves into the town of Marshall, in Michigan, he was surrounded by a mob led by the most influential citizens who declared that though the law was in his favor yet the public sentiment must and should supersede it and a resolution was tumultuously adopted that these kentuckians shall not remove from this place these slaves by moral physical or legal force The magistrate fined troutman one hundred dollars for the trespass in attempting to arrest his slave and he was recognized to appear at the next circuit court for drawing a pistol on a negro who was forcing the door of his room but this was a mild treatment compared with the fate of the lamented kennedy of hagerstown when he followed his slave into carlisle pennsylvania and was peaceably with his own consent bringing him away an infuriated mob of whites and free blacks incited by the professor of a college assaulted and brutally murdered him it is estimated by mr Klingman that the whole loss to the south in fugitive slaves is not less than fifteen millions of dollars mr butler of the senate estimated the annual loss to the south at two hundred thousand dollars and more recent statements make it probable that he was under the true amount the philanthropy of the north does not extend to voluntary free negro immigrants from the south but is confined to the runaway slaves whom it can force by fear to work for immoderately low wages continuing briefly tracing the growth of the anti-slavery faction in the north The author next proceeds to speak of the admission of Missouri. He says, A clause prohibiting slavery was inserted into the bill for the admission of Missouri, when it became apparent that her people would reject such a bill if passed. And with a government regularly organized, according to all the constitutional precedents, would remain without the Union as a separate, independent state, unless the federal authority undertook to subdue her, and convulsed the country by a civil war. In this state of the question, the South had only to remain firm, and the North would be forced to yield. But, as usual, the South was weak enough to retreat from her ground, and, in her love for the Union, she submitted to a provision for her prohibiting slavery in all that part of the territory of Louisiana except missouri itself which lies north of thirty six degrees thirty minutes the southern boundary of virginia and kentucky the south thus lost without any equivalent nine-tenths of what was already a slave territory purchased by the common treasure she retained only one hundred and ten thousand square miles for the emigration of her own citizens and surrendered nine hundred and sixty-five thousand to the north. Continuing, Yet even this so-called compromise, forced upon us by the northern voters, is now spurned by the free states. They have derived all the possible benefit from it on this side of the Rocky Mountains, and they refuse us the poor advantage which it would secure of two hundred and four thousand 383 square miles out of the 867,541 on the other side. Continuing quote. Here follows the climax. The extract is long, but we are sure it will repay perusal. It is now proposed to exclude the South from the territory of California and New Mexico, four hundred and forty six thousand nine hundred and thirty eight square miles large enough to make more than eleven states equal to ohio the south paid her share and as we shall see far more than her full share of the expenses for the mexican war of the gallant volunteers who fought its battles she furnished forty five thousand six hundred and forty and the north twenty-three thousand and eighty-four but little more than half as many she sent one man out of every twenty-six of military age the north only sent one out of every one hundred and twenty-four how those battles were fought and won of which section the generals were natives whose regiments faltered and whose left two of their men stretched upon the bloody field while the third planted the stars and stripes upon the Mexican battlements, the South will leave to history to say. And now it is proposed to exclude the survivors and their fellow citizens from the equal enjoyments of the conquest of the war. And why? Because, as the Vermont resolutions declare, slavery is a crime against humanity. Continuing, quote the north next propose to abolish slavery in the district of columbia and so make a harbor for runaways and a center of abolition agitation in the very heart of virginia and maryland this is to be done in defiance alike of good faith and of constitutional obligation and why because as the gott resolution passed by the house of representatives declares SLAVERY IS INFAMOUS. Continuing, The Northern vote in Congress on these questions is almost unanimous, without distinction of parties against the South. The exceptions are daily fewer, swept away by the overpowering side of fanatical public sentiment at the North. The state legislatures are equally agreed. They have all and the majority more than once, adopted resolutions of the most offensive character. The next treat is to abolish slavery in the dockyards, forts, and arsenals. For there, Congress has the same jurisdiction and responsibility as in the district. It is asserted that slavery cannot exist without a special law to establish it in the new territories, Because property in Negroes is, as they pretend, a creation of municipal regulation alone, and therefore ceases beyond the limits of the state which authorizes it. Not only does this argument fail in its major proposition, for there is no law establishing slavery in any state where it exists, but it fails also in its application. For the limits and authority of each slave state now extend to the new territory held by the common federal agent. But, if true, by parity of reasoning, slavery cannot exist on the high seas, and so say our abolitionists. Therefore, the slaves who leave Richmond on a voyage to New Orleans are free as soon as the vessel leaves the shore. The prohibition of what they call the slave trade on the high seas and then on the mississippi whose waters they pretend are common property and then between the states will quickly follow each other what would be left the south in such a condition with asylums for runaways and stations for abolition agents in every state the mail converted into a colporteur of incendiary tracts, forbid to carry our slaves from state to state, unable to migrate to new or more fertile lands, and thus renovate our fortunes and give our sons a new theatre for their energies without sacrificing all our habits, associations, and property, and yet with all this, bound to pay taxes and fight battles for conquests, we are to have no share in, and for a government known to us only by its tyranny. How miserable would be our thraldom! Can any southern man bear the idea of such degradation? He might endure the loss of his rich conquests in California, but can he bear to be excluded because his institutions are infamous? because he is branded with inferiority and under the ban of the civilized world? If he can, then he is worthy of all, and more than all, that is threatened him. Continuing, quote, But abolition will not stop, even when slavery is thus hemmed in, localized and discouraged, as Senator Chase proposes. Anti-slavery sentiment is to be made the indispensable condition of appointment to federal office. And thus, by bringing southern men to treachery, the war is to be carried on to the last fell deed of all, the abolition of slavery within the states. For, to quote Randolph once more, Fanaticism, political or religious, has no stopping place short of heaven or of hell continuing quote the slave states have but thirty votes in the senate and two of these delaware can hardly be counted upon in their defense nor is it possible to increase her strength by new slave states rufus king long since avowed that the object of the north was political power and she will never permit florida or texas to be divided A serious claim is already set up to all Texas west of the nueces as new territory acquired by treaty from Mexico to which the Wilmot proviso may and should be applied. The only territory south of the Missouri compromise line and east of the rocky mountains is the district of fifty-eight thousand three hundred and forty-six square miles ceded forever to the Indians. On the other hand, the North has west of the Mississippi and east of the Rocky Mountains, exclusive of the Indian Territory, 723,248 square miles. Add the part of the Old Northwest Territory, added to Minnesota in violation of the Virginia deed of cession, 22,336 square miles, all of Oregon 341,463 square miles, totals, in all of the undisputed territory, 1,087,047 square miles, or enough to make 28 such states as Ohio, or 21 larger than Iowa. This addition alone, to the strength of the North, would give her nearly the three-fourths required to amend the Constitution, and abolish slavery at her pleasure, if we can suppose that she would take the trouble to enact an amendment to do that which Mr. Adams declared should be done, in certain cases, under half a dozen clauses in the Constitution as it now stands. But when we consider that, in the case of our submission to the Wilmot Proviso, the North will have all of California... 448,691 square miles, New Mexico east of the Rio Grande, 124,933 square miles, Texas between the Nueces and the Rio Grande, 52,018 square miles, in all 625,642 square miles, more than all the present free states. Equal to 21 states of their average size, or 16 such states as Ohio, or 12 larger than Iowa, in addition to all we have before computed. Her preponderance becomes truly enormous. 15 slaves states to 74 free states, not to mention the chances for several more in Canada. Can any one suppose that such a union could subsist as a union of equals? Continuing, quote. In this alarming situation, the South has no hope but in her own firmness. She wished to preserve the union as it was, and she must, therefore, insist upon sufficient guarantees for the observance of her rights and her future political equality. Or she must dissolve a union which no longer possesses its original character. When this alternative is placed before the North, she will determine according to the value she places upon the federal league, and we may anticipate her choice if we can count what it has been worth to her and how large a moral and material treasure she must surrender if she persists in pushing her aggressions to its overthrow. End End of Strictures on Abolitionism, Part B